to the Slow Brew Podcast, where I teach you how to take control of your money one coffee cup at a time. Today's Monday, January 31st, and before I begin, I wanted to mention Instagram and Twitter, at Slow Brew Finance. You can also go to slowbrewfinance.com, email me, and we can get the conversation going. Uh, before I started talking about anything, I wanted to, to give everyone a, a reminder of what I'm trying to do here. Uh, some things in investing can can be complicated by nature of just trying to understand um, some of the the harder concepts to understand, I guess. Um, but your relationship with money and the actions you take should not be complicated. I, I talked about um, last week about how if you do three things, if you simply stay out of debt, have an emergency fund and you invest a good chunk of your money, you know, you can't, you can't go wrong. I mean, doing those three things is the way to uh, personal finance mastery, to financial independence, in, uh, you know, at some point. And, uh, and we can't get bugged down. We can start thinking about overthinking too much about, you know, the, the, exact, the exact details of those things. You know, should I use this budget app or that budget app? Or should I even have a budget or... You know, what, you know, what bank account do I use? What ETF do I invest in? You know, what's the best brokerage? And all those things I love talking about because, you know, that's that's just what I like talking about. But it doesn't mean that those things actually get you places. The the 80% in Pareto's principle, the thing that gets you the results, uh, 80% of the results is just 20% of the actions. And the 20% of the actions are pretty simple. Uh, the rest is just in the details. So I just wanted to remind you that it it, it is simple and that don't don't listen to people because just from what I <laughs> I have experienced in talking to some people, people tend to be very pessimistic on how they view their lives and how they view their money and it doesn't have to apply to you because you know that it is actually pretty simple. And again, even though you may not, you know, might not be in a in a good place right now with money, that's uh, that's the perfect starting point. If you don't start today, it might get worse tomorrow. And so today is the perfect starting point. And so, you know, after I finish every episode, just ask yourself, what can I do today that will get me a step closer to uh, to to being able to to perform those three things: to stay out of debt, to have an emergency fund and to invest. You know, if you're not investing anything right now, it may be because you have debt. So ask yourself, should I, you know, how can I go about paying off this debt first? And uh, and it, you may feel overwhelmed, but I'm such a true believer in the fact that $1 towards that debt is $1 less you have to pay in the future. And so if you have a, a dollar laying around in your, in your house or some coins or whatever, <laughs> I know it sounds kind of silly, but that's that's the starting point is just doing that one small thing that can get your momentum going and then can get you to a place where you're automatically thinking about these things and automatically doing things. Um, so that's where I want to get you to. Today I wanted to talk about uh, the, the euphoria of the markets. <laughs> uh, some of you might be invested, so that's good. Some of you might not be. I'm assuming if you know if you have a job and you've been at least contributing to your 401k, then you're invested in something. 
and um, and it's been a pretty volatile week. It's been we I, you know we're pretty much in correction territory. I don't I don't know if the S and P five hundred has actually reached the ten percent loss. I know the total stock market has uh, temp, from from the all time highs. It has gone down ten percent, and so that's what we call a correction. And um, and I'm I'm just gonna say a couple things that I've noticed about why the market is behaving the way it is now. There's 10 million things that happens, you know, in, in any given day that affects the markets, and so it's kind of hard to separate the noise from the reality. What is actually contributing to uh, a market going down and what isn't? But I will give you my my thoughts regarding what I have seen that has fallen the most and what hasn't. Um, it seems to me that during 2020, we had a very friendly Federal Reserve. We had a very friendly government that decided to helicopter cash to everyone, uh, which I think at the beginning of the pandemic was pretty justified. Uh, however, that that uh, that generosity <laughs> didn't really stop and we started printing money like crazy and uh, it resulted in people having too much money um, and I know that some of you needed that money which you know I'm thankful that you got that that bit of money to to survive or to do whatever you needed to do with that money I for example I received too much money <laughs> I didn't need the money. Uh, I didn't need actually any of the stimulus because I was prepared. Um, and so what did I do with, with the money? Well, uh, last year <laughs> I took the money and I spent it uh, on plane tickets to go to Hawaii because <laughs> I, I wanted to start spending a little bit more money. I, I, I thought that was a good use. Uh, but other than that stimulus, everything else that came my way um, I just started investing. I just, I don't know, I don't need this money. I, you know, make sure that everyone around me who needs money gets it. But other than that, it's, you know, it's, it's going to the brokerage account. And so I invested uh, a lot of money. And that's not just the case with me. It's the case with a lot of people who ended up with extra cash. So in economics, when interest rates go down, uh, there tends to be, more more money in supply. So think about it like this. If interest rates are low, more people are prone to going to the bank and borrowing money because it's so cheap to to get that. So that's why, again, houses went up like crazy. It's because people saw the opportunity of a lifetime. Uh, you could go to the bank. You could get a good loan at a cheap interest rate and you could get your home. And a lot of people justified it by saying, you know, if, if I don't borrow now, you know, I'm going to eventually buy a house. If I don't borrow now, then I'm going to have to pay higher interest later. And then what ended up happening is that that pushed the, the prices of homes up like crazy uh, to the point where it honestly didn't even make a difference <laughs> that you had a lower interest rate. You're going to be paying a lot for that house. Um. And so this happened with many, many sources of, of investments. The, the stock market is probably the prime example of how this happened. But interestingly enough, 
it hit growth types of, of stocks, meaning stocks that, you know, th there's two types of growth stocks. There's one type of growth stock that is a stock that's kind of expensive because it's a, it's, it's what's seen, it, it seems like a good company. And then there's the stock that's expensive because people are speculating that this will be a good company. And these are usually companies that either have negative cash flow, um, but they have a, a good story or their financials do not justify uh, their, their price. And so, you know, I think Tesla somewhere in the, in the middle. The thing with Tesla is that um, I think I, I heard this yesterday. I forgot from who, but. You know, um, Toyota at some point last year was priced um, so that, you know, for every car they sold, uh, $20,000 uh, was baked into the price, meaning take every car that Toyota has ever sold, multiply by $20,000, and that's the, the market cap of Toyota, which it's pretty expensive, if you ask me. That's a, that's a pretty expensive company. With Tesla, it was half a million dollars. <laughs> so for every car that Tesla had sold up until that point, half a million dollars was baked into into the market cap price, which is which is insane that a, a company would be able to do that. And uh, <clears throat> there's a lot of companies like this that ended up getting lots of money, uh, even though, in, in my opinion, they one either are over justified in what they can do in the future. Something like Zoom, for example, like people loved Zoom and Zoom was a soaring stock in, in 2020. But the reality is that, you know, they're not doing anything super revolutionary. They just have, uh, they just happen to be the service that a lot of people use because, um, you know, I, I had Skype when I like back in 2008 or whatever. It's pretty much the same thing. I don't, I mean, I don't think that's super revolutionary, but people priced it like it was going to change the world. In fact, when you see Kathy Wood, who is, uh, I guess, the CEO, but she's the in, in the the fund manager of Arc ETFs and Arc Arc, as in A R K K. Uh, what they try to do is invest in these types of companies that they think are going to to the moon, I guess. <laughs> Um, and these tend to be really growthy companies, meaning they have a, a, a story to tell, but they don't. They might not have the actual financials to support that story or to support the price. And what what's so interesting uh, about Arc is that over the past year, um, it has gone down a lot. <laughs> uh, so fifty five percent to be almost exact, from the all-time highs. So if you would have invested some time in early 2021 into ARC, you had the potential to have lost 55% of your money. And you have to ask yourself, you know, why Why is that happening? Well, with, with this helicopter cash um, and this availability to borrow cheaply came the speculation. So it's it's so interesting because... You know, with low interest rates, it usually means the economy is going to benefit from that. But what ends up happening is that people start speculating. 
and over investing almost in a sense and they find assets that will give them some sort of return the opposite is true when interest rates go up usually there there can't be that much speculation the the economy usually slows down when when interest rates go go up and um and the speculation stops so we've been facing a uh two-year period where we've had this cheap cash and you could have invested in the worst asset and it somehow went up um and uh we we got used to that idea that you know stocks only go up and stocks only go to the moon and you you started picking some some crazy name brands that uh that would go up and um and then as soon as the fed mentioned that interest rates were going to go up all these growth type stocks started crashing and crumbling a little bit and uh, I'm specifically talking about the speculative speculative <laughs> type of stocks uh, where, you know, you got your Tesla, you got your Roku, your Zoom, all these, you know, Peloton. My goodness. It just came crashing down, all of those. Um, what you have seen is actually a sort of rotation into, into value. So what is value? This, it's... I know I talk a lot about this, but just want to put it in simple terms. A a value stock is a stock that's cheap. That's that's all it is. It's like if you go to the store and uh, you know to the grocery store, and then they have some deal on some food that is value. You know, if it's fifty percent off, that is value. And uh, it's interesting that in investing. Uh, people hate value. <laughs> value is uh, is the worst thing to people because they deem that these companies are, eh, they're not that good. And if you can take something away from this, um, this, this would be it. A stock price is not, it's not how a company it's, is doing in relation to its competitors or the industry or the economy. A, a stock price, even though it has some aspect of that, is mostly priced according to its own expectations. We tend to think that companies compete with one another and, and that's true. But when it comes to pricing a stock, it's it has to, to do with that. But the majority of it is can this company beat its own expectations, its own future profits? And what happens with value stocks is that they are sold out. People don't don't like don't like them. And I was looking through some through some value stocks uh, earlier. I think I talked about Macy's <laughs> a couple episodes ago. Uh, and how Macy's has a P ratio of seven, meaning for all the earnings that they make in one year, uh, if you multiply that by seven, right, that's how much it would cost to buy the entire company. And that is insane to me. There's also a different valuation called the, the price to book, which basically all it means is... Um, the price of the stock compared to its book value and the book value just think about it as the sum of all its 
its assets. Everything it owns, all, all the things on the balance sheet it can get complicated thinking about it, but basically think, think of all the things that if the company were to go down and they were to sell everything, all these, all these assets, everything they own, that's the book value. That's one simple way to think about it, even though that might be oversimplifying it. And there are companies out there that the price to book ratio is lower than one. Uh, which means that even if this company went bankrupt, you would make more money by the selling of the assets than actually the company. So they're literally selling you, you know, a dollar and you have to pay 80 cents. <laughs> it's it's ridiculous how these companies have been so overlooked. Now, again, they, they, they get overlooked because... The, there's something wrong with them, <laughs> just to say the least. There's more risk involved. But what you have seen in this interest rate hike environment, or at least the expectations that interest rates will go up, is that value has not fallen so hard. And the reason being is because, well, these, these companies, they don't have their earnings extended so far into the future, like growth companies do. Right? If you were buying Tesla, that means you are putting those earnings so far out in the future, you will be dead 100% by the time they actually make that money that you're expecting them to make. And again, it's all about expectations. It's all about, will this company beat its own expectations? And in growth companies, the expectations have been placed really, really high. And in value companies, they have been placed really, really, really low. And it's in that gap where you can make money because at the end of the day, I do think it's more of a behavioral, um, a behavioral aspect that makes us want to sell out of value and want to buy into growth. It's, it's pretty behavior based in my opinion. And so can we, can we do better than that? Can we start seeing how value is important in the long term and how growth is is overhyped. So, uh, what can you do with this, all this information? Um, I I would love for people to tilt into value and, uh, and if they can into small cap value. My my portfolio, I think I posted this, um, has fallen less than uh, the S and P five hundred than a total stock market. Uh, part of that. And a lot of it has to do with, with the value aspect and part of it has to do with the international aspect. The, the U.S. is a more growthy country, meaning, again, companies in here tend to be priced higher. Um, and, uh, and the, yeah, I mean, there's great companies here, but what's more important is how much you're paying for those. So, um, yeah, just look, look at your portfolio. I, and honestly... It's it's hard for me to say go change it now because um, because first of all I don't think you should change it based on anything I say <laughs> because I mean come on I'm just I'm just a I'm just a guy you know <laughs> I'm just that guy just talking on a microphone um, so don't don't do that uh, and it, I I think it's usually better to change the portfolio when everything's going right once uh, things start. Um, not going so well and you you begin thinking about changing your portfolio i think you run into a potential 
a potential trap <laughs> where um, behaviorally you might end up hurting yourself. And um, we all are more emotional when it comes to money than we think. And uh, I just think when emotions are running high, eh, it might be better just to hold off. But I can't make that call for you. I just I can kill, I can present you with the information, a little bit of the facts of what I um, what has happened in the past month or so, and uh, and then you can make your decision from there. Okay, let's go into our article of the week. Uh, Bloomberg reports retail traders bailed on the market right before stocks rebounded. Now. Uh, this this came out on January 24th at 4 p.m. And at, at that point on Monday, uh, if, if you have not been watching the markets, it's been really interesting to see the volatility. Stocks open low, then they go up high, then they go back down, then go back up. And it's like, what? I think every day, it's been the opposite of how it's opened, <laughs> almost. And uh, on, on January 24th, uh, which I think might have been Monday, uh, the stock market took a huge, huge, huge hit. And uh, I believe the S&P 500 had like a 6% intraday, um, you know, low to high, high to low. So the gap between the highest point and the lowest point was like 6%, which is crazy. Uh, all you Bitcoin holders right there, that's like your every day. But I mean, for the S&P, that's pretty, that's pretty rare that that would happen. And um it's sad because what the article is reporting is that a lot of the volatility actually came from retail. That's what Bloomberg is reporting. Now, in hindsight, um, you know, this, this article came out you know, January 24th uh, at, during the nighttime. And uh, in hindsight, now that I see the information, that was a a good result. I'm not going to say it's a good move. It ended up being a good result because even though they went up that day, then they kept falling down for the rest of the week. So technically, technically these investors were right. But you know, at the time the article came out, uh, they had already missed on the upside because uh, they sold down in the bottom and then the stock market recovered and actually ended up in the green that day. Again, in hindsight, uh, that move was beneficial and uh and i guess why am i talking about this um what is good investing and i'll do a whole podcast on this later on good investing is not about results um which seems crazy which seems like what are you saying what you know if if you make a million dollars in two days that must have been a really good investment well, I, I tend to disagree because there's no way you're going to know the future. So, for example, if you talk to someone who just won the lottery, um, I, I could tell them that that was a bad decision, bad investment decision. And then they would, you know, wipe their tears from laughing at me with their $100 bills and then walk away. Um, because it seems irrational that that seemed like a, like a bad investment. Well, in the moment, you know, the present moment is everything. It's all that counts um, for how you treat investments. It has nothing to do with the future because you cannot control the future. And so if the future ended up, uh, you, you ended up having a, a good um, result, it doesn't mean that your decision was actually a good decision. 
So good investment is about the decisions you make today and not about the results that end up happening in the future. I know it seems counterintuitive, <laughs> but um, I don't think selling out of the market is a good idea um, because you, you, you don't know the future. Uh, and uh, unless you're, I don't know, a, a money manager that uses some sort of market timing mechanism with technical analysis and it's all quantitative and you take out the emotion from it, then maybe there, there could be a benefit from that. I know some people do that and they can be successful half of the time. Um, but if it's not plan of your investment plan, then if, if it's, if it's not part of your investment plan, then, then don't implement it, uh, and stay, stay put, uh, volatility is, it's what happens. Um, I'm, I'm actually, this sounds bad. I'm, I'm banking on the market going down because I know that I, I, I need an opportunity. <laughs> I didn't have money back in March of 2020. I need an opportunity. Uh, and I have just a little bit of cash just on the sides because I, I, I don't know what to do with it yet. Um, I don't want to invest it yet. I already invested for, for what I needed to invest. So I don't want to invest more, but it is, it is there. And so I think buying cheaper stocks would be, would be great. I need an opportunity. I'm, I'm pretty young. Uh, and, uh, I just need my one bear market that will take me places when I'm 65. So I'm banking on that. Uh, which means that you, you don't buy less, you, you buy more, you don't sell out, don't sell when prices are low. It's insane when you look at the statistics, uh, investors are really, really bad. Uh, they, they always, almost always, in general, whatever return you see on any asset, most investors don't get near that amount. Most investors, investors trail the market so hard. It's not even crazy. It's not even like, it's not even funny. <laughs> Like if you invest in the S&P, I, I, I'm not going to say any data, but it is it is sad that, that most investors would have done better just holding bonds than trying to come in and out of stocks. So just stay put. Uh, that's why I'm saying don't don't change into value yet. Just wait for a better day. Once that better day comes, think about it. You can do your research. I think it's um, I think it's interesting, but uh, but I would be cautious about changing your portfolio now. Well, that's it for this week, and I'll see you next week.